So this morning we come to a, a heavy topic. Uh, there's, there's really no greater issue in the culture, as far as I see, uh, than this very topic that we'll look at this morning, the sanctity of life. That life is sacred, that it's, it's special, it's unique, it's, it's given by God. And my goal here this morning is to provoke our thinking about the value, the sacredness of life, and that we can engage in our culture in, in this debate that we see played out in the election and in the culture and in the marketplace about the, the very value of human life. Why is a life valuable? Is it valuable because of its function? Is, no, it's valuable because it's given by God. Some thoughts here as we, as we get started. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. I promise straight from the Bible, straight out of Psalms, that they're a gift. Now, sometimes it's a surprise birthday party, but they're a gift all the same, right? Of, of the six children that Lisa and I were blessed with and now the 14 grandchildren, there's not a one of them that's the same. Between Nate and Noah, there's, they're close as brothers, but there's a world of differences in their personality and their strengths, their weaknesses, the things that make them tick. They're just all a gift to our family. They're such a treasure and precious in our hearts and lives. The Declaration of Independence gives us a clue, too, where we read these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How about the Bible? What does it say more about the sanctity of human life? As we look to the Bible this morning, think of Genesis, back when uh, we had children in the home, and we'd do family devotions. I'd, I'd love this one, because say, well, God wanted to make something really special, and he went down by the riverbank one day, and he molded that clay, and he formed it. He made a man, and then they <gasps> breathed into him the breath of life. God giving something of his essence into each one of us. It's God breathed, just like scripture. It's, it's something of who God is that gets communicated to us. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. See, we bear the image of God, don't we? If you think about the other account in Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. So what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that is of God that, that gets communicated to us? Well, first, you know, there's a couple of things here, right? Reflections of God image. We're, we have the ability to process knowledge. We got a great new puppy at home. She's smart. She's right there with you. She wants to be close to you. But she can't process knowledge the way a human can, right? There's nothing in the animal kingdom that resembles even a, even a trace of your intelligence, of your ability to process knowledge, to create, to, to think about philosophy or Beethoven or music. Uh, so many things that we can do with these minds of ours. So, so that's, a, that's a reflection of God's image, right? Our desire to live in community is a reflection of the Trinity, reflection of God's uh, desire to live in a community, that, that we know right from wrong, we have a conscience. I used to tell my kids, don't, don't kill your cricket, you know, your Jiminy Cricket, who you're, <laughs> back to Disney days, but uh, you know, don't kill your cricket, listen to him, he's got a lot to say, right? So we have a conscience, we know moral right from wrong, right? We're spiritual, we're spiritual beings, we have an ability to have a relationship with God, right? And we have a soul that will live forever. All these things are stamps, they're that we bear the image of God, that his stamp is on our lives, that our very being is created and comes from God. I was thinking about uh, Max Lucado here. He talks about a sweater. He says, in my closet hangs a sweater. I seldom wear it. It's too small. 
Sleeves are too short. The shoulders are too tight. Some of the buttons are missing. The thread is frazzled. I should throw it out. I've got no use for it. I'll never wear it again. But love won't let me. Something unique about that sweater makes me keep it. What's unusual about it? Well, for one thing, it has no label. Nowhere on the garment will you find a tag that reads made in China or washing cold water. It has no tag because it wasn't made in the factory. It has no label because it wasn't produced on an assembly line. It isn't the product of a nameless employee earning a wage. It's a handmade creation of a devoted mother expressing her love. The sweater's unique. It's one of a kind. It can't be replaced. Each strand was chosen with care. Each thread was selected with affection. And though the sweater's lost all of its use, it's lost none of its value. It's valuable not because of its function, but because of its maker. Let me read that again. Though the sweater has lost all of its use, it's lost none of its value. It's valuable not because of its function, but because of its maker. Like the sweater, we're valued because of our maker. That must have been what the psalmist had in mind when he wrote, You knit me together in my mother's womb. Think on these words. You were knit together. You're not an evolutionary accident. You weren't mass-produced. You weren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, lovingly positioned on this earth by a master craftsman. Psalm 139. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Good thoughts there from Max Lucado. We honor the sanctity of human life. Is this truth firm in your hearts? Is it, is it firmly rooted? Don't let the culture pull it out. Like weeding the garden. Don't let the culture pull this out of your heart, saints. But, but God made human life, and God calls it special, and God calls us to protect it and defend it and nurture it in all its forms and wherever we find it. A couple of thoughts here. Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. One of the Ten Commandments. They're not suggestions. They're not recommendations. They're commands from God that he wants his people to carry out. And one of them is that I should not take a life of another human being. Exodus 22. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. For you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, they'll cry out to me. And I will certainly hear their cry. When they cry out to me, I will hear them. For I am compassionate. That's the God we worship this morning. That's the God we serve. So should our hearts be compassionate toward the widow, toward the orphan? They should be. Because we, we, we bear that stamp of God, right, on our lives. A couple more verses. Also, Old Testament. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome. God who does not show partiality or take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving them food and clothing. Begin to see the heart of God here, don't we? There's a theme over and over. Deuteronomy 24. I'll read this one to you. It's kind of long. When you reap in your harvest in your field and you've forgotten the sheath in the field, don't go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olive tree, don't go over the boughs again, for it shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't go over them again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. Curious, isn't it? There's an element of personal responsibility here. It doesn't say that I give 10% to the government or 2% or for most of us 30% and let the government take care of the poor. It's, it's almost like if there's a rip in the fabric of, of the family. If for whatever reason a child becomes unwanted and becomes an orphan or if a husband dies and can't provide for his family and there's a widow. 
that, that the fabric of family is torn, this is kind of a patch. That God says, you take responsibility. You care for them. You give a little bit of your excess, a little bit of your produce, so someone else won't have to go and want. These are staggering verses, aren't they? Staggering thoughts. Really, and as, as, as I don't know where you stand on immigration. It's a difficult issue. I got it. But you think about all those people coming up from the border, and you think, oh my goodness, how do we fulfill these verses? How does the challenges our country now faces are huge. And where does this truth, where do these truths fit in? Because they're human beings too, right? The alien, the foreign, the orphan, the widow. These are all in God's heart. I don't have all the answers, but I'm saying the word of God commands us to take personal responsibility for the care of others. And it's a difficult command. Isaiah 1, 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Speak justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Again, we see the heart of God. Again, these are difficult to work out. They're difficult to get on a six-foot level and where the rubber meets the road. And how do, I, how do I care for others? How do I show that dignity and that humanity to the, to the uh, amigo construction worker on my site? You know, or the, or the one who cleans your offices or cleans your schools or, or the cash register Indian behind the cash register. How do you show the dignity and love of God to that person? You treat them kindly, right? These kind of things, common respect, common dignity. You try to help others in need. All these things we see played out. I think about my mother, 78 years old. She's now widowed for 11 years. She enjoyed 49 years of marriage with my dad. But from her own lips, she says this. She says, son, at my age, I'm a throwaway. Wow, I'm a throwaway. This is how she thinks of herself because the culture is constantly lying that elderly people have no worth, have no value. Man, I'll do all I can to treat her as she's special. Treat her as a human being. Treat her with care. Treat her with dignity. It's kind of like Mother Teresa, right? You've heard that story in India. She's walking by in, in the streets of Calcutta, slums, and there's a baby thrown in the trash pile. And she reaches it out, grabs it, lifts it up, and says, there's life in there. To respect life, to respect it, to give it dignity. I think of my niece's uh, tremendous challenges, little Bobby. You can't keep shoes on the kid. He's autistic. He's special needs. It's good you can keep pants on him most of the time. But uh, can't communicate, not too well anyway. He gives you grunts and groans and these kind of things. But man, he's special. Is our value determined by our handicaps, by our abilities, by our age? No. I want to do everything I can with Stan, with Caitlin, and Rob, and the tremendous challenges of trying to parent this child. You know, they had to bicker with the school system to get him proper education, and, and, and they're winning the battle. They're doing, they're doing very well. But man, what a challenge to raise a special needs child. We need to stand with those people. I think about uh, my father-in-law. We, we had uh, him for a year and a half in our home because he suffered with dementia. I'm in the hospital room. He's suffering with a, a urinary tract infection, and... I'm feeding him his mashed potatoes because he can't hold the spoon anymore. His hands, he can't get the spoon to his mouth. And a nurse comes by and basically says, what are you fooling around with an old man for? Basically was the question. And, and says, he doesn't even remember who you are. I said, no, but I remember who he is. And I'll protect him, I'll defend him, I'll care for him. And we did all we could for as long as we could for him. So, but the big conflict these days seems to be with the unborn. Uh, are they worthy of our protection? Are they worthy of our care? Are they worthy that, that we should speak for those who have no voice? Now, I want to share with you some numbers. These are difficult. Who is it? John Adams says facts are difficult things. 
Let me share some numbers with you. We, we just passed 400,000 COVID deaths, right? So within one year in this country, COVID has killed 400,000 people. Got it. I wear my mask. I try to be safe. I understand. I'm not minimizing that at all. But how many of you think more people have died from abortion in this country in the last year? Or how many think less? The, the, the best number I could find, 2017, 862,000 children. Gone. Down the drain. Literally. Staggering. 862,000. Now help me, help me get my little mind wrapped around that. Camden Yards is about roughly 45,000 people, right? So you took a newborn baby and laid on every chair. How many stadiums would that be in one year? 19 stadiums of children. Whew. Staggering. Can you imagine? 19 stadiums of children in one year lost to abortion. Now I get it. These are just numbers. But you know what? They're, they're people. Since Roe versus Wade in 1973 was legalized, we've aborted 62 million children. That's 1,377 stadiums full of children. If you happen to be African American, your rate is five times the white rate. If you happen to be Hispanic, it's twice the white rate. These are facts. I don't like them either. I'm all for trying to change our culture. How can, how can we call ourselves a Christian nation? I'm ashamed of our nation. If this is, this is touted as liberal and this is touted as progressive, no. It's taken us back to the dark ages. In Roman times, if they didn't want a baby, often they would only have one daughter in the household. The other daughters would be left out in the field to die. Abortion's no new thing. Killing babies is, is, is always a bad idea. Some thoughts here. Um, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Very good book. I've just read the first couple of chapters. And she, she kind of teaches us how to engage the culture a little bit on this and how to stand up for life. She says, if you favor abortion, you're implicitly saying that the early stages of a life, the unborn baby has little value and can be killed for any reason or no reason without any moral consequence. That's a very low view of human life. Then by sheer logic, you must say at some later time the baby becomes a person. So there's this, this kind of lie of personhood that a baby, as long as it's in the womb, isn't a person, right? It may be, have, have be a human potential, but it's not a person, you hear the lie there. Remember, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And he's the father of lies. He deceives us. He tricks us. The implication is as long as a preborn child is deemed to be a human but not a person, it's a disposable piece of matter, a natural resource like timber or corn. It could be used for research or experiments or tinkered with genetically or harvested for organs and then disposed of with other medical waste. Chilling thoughts. Chilling words. I was once invited to be a guest on National Public Radio program in San Francisco. Before the show, the producer interviewed me about my views on various subjects, including abortion. He commented that most people think abortion is acceptable until the fetus becomes a person. The fr- that, she responds, that phrase carries enormous philosophical baggage, I pointed out. It assumes a fragmented, fractured view of the human being that treats the body as extrinsic to the person and therefore expendable. By contrast, those who oppose abortion hold a holistic view of the human nature as an integrated unity, which means the body has intrinsic value and worth. The producer seemed surprised by this argument and had no answer. So I went on. 
I said, the pro-choice position is exclusive. It says that some people don't measure up. They don't make the cut. They don't qualify for the rights of personhood. By contrast, I said, the pro-life position is inclusive. If you're a member of the human race, you're in. You have the dignity and status and full member of the moral community. A few days later, the producer contacted me to say the interview had been canceled. Not surprising. It can be difficult for secular people to accept the dehumanizing implications of their own views. I'd use the liberal buzzwords of inclusive and holistic to demonstrate that a biblical worldview actually fulfills the highest ideals better than any secular worldview. By contrast, we see that the biblical worldview is holistic. It recognizes that the body and soul are complementary, forming an integrated person. Everyone is a human, is a person. We're an embodied person. The Christian ethic is based on a rich, multidimensional view. It says that people have moral worth on all levels, physical and spiritual. The Christian concept of personhood depends not on what I can do, but on who I am, that I'm created in the image of God, that God has called me into existence and continues to know me and love me. Human beings do not need to earn the right to be treated as creatures of great value. Our dignity is intrinsic, rooted in the fact that God has made us, knows us, and loves us. The beauty of the biblical ethic emerges clearly when compared to the cold, callous view of life in today's secular thinking. Yet that positive message will only get through to people if we back it up with acts of grace and mercy to those who have experienced the trauma of abortion. Women and men who are persuaded in the abortion script that the fetus is just something to throw away. We must come alongside those and stand against the pressure to abort and courageously choose to carry babies to term. Good words here. There's a ragged working class neighborhood in Seoul, South Korea. It has a drop box built into the wall. A hand scrawled sign outside the drop box says, if you can't take care of your disabled babies, don't throw them away or leave them in the street. Bring them here. The box is lined with soft pink and blue blanket. It has a bell that rings when the door is opened. The drop box is home of Presbyterian minister Lee John Rank. And since 2009, Lee has saved more than 600 children been placed in the box. He and his wife have adopted 10. That's the maximum number you're allowed in South Korea. But then he's arranged for the adoptions of others. Inscribed on the top of the box is Psalm 2710. It says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Pastor Lee's concern for the disabled started when he and his wife gave birth to a baby who was severely brain damaged. A tragedy sparked a cascade of questions that would cause him to rethink his Christian convictions as he asked God, Why did you give me a handicapped child? But as he cared for his helpless son, however, Lee became to become convinced of the preciousness of life. The hospital where the son spent most of the early years, he began to encourage other families with disabled children. In South Korea, Lee says, babies with deformities are seen as a national shame. It's been a culture addicted to perfection. But the abandonment of babies is not only a problem in South Korea, however. In 2016, the first drop box in the United States was installed at Woodburn Fire Department in Woodburn, Indiana. Under Indiana's safe haven law, a mother has 30 days after the baby to decide if she wants to keep the child or turn it over to authorities with no questions asked. If the mother places a baby in the box, it locks automatically and the authorities are alerted and someone's there within three minutes. In the ancient world, Christians were distinctive for their humanitarian efforts, taking care of babies, of slaves, of widows and orphans, the sick, the elderly, the unwanted and the abandoned. We must again be ready to stand with courage and conviction. We must confront the underlying worldview of personhood theory 
with its dehumanizing impact, and then find practical ways to express the Bible's high view of life. It's good words there, good reminders. I love his courage. I love his example. I just remind you, too, from John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. What a perfect picture of abortion, because that's what it does. It steals innocence. It kills the child. It destroys relationships. It destroys families. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Rich words, rich promises from God. So I want you to do me a favor. If my words here this morning have offended you in any way, if you hold a different view, point of view, if there's been past hurts that perhaps you need to work through, this issue runs deep with Lisa and I. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to spend some time with you. We'd love to talk to you. Don't just leave and write me an email, but, but reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you. Um, we have the privilege as a church to stand with also the Columbia Pregnancy Center. And I've got a couple video clips here for you to share. I was 19 and I found out I was pregnant the day after Valentine's Day. <laughs> and it was a total shock. I never thought that that would happen. And I came here and when I walked through the door, it was the first time I ever really felt like it was gonna be okay. I was pregnant with my fourth one and I was really um, not happy at that time because it was an unplanned pregnancy. They kind of helped me to process everything, but it really helped me also to know I surely want to keep the child, and they understood that I just need some help through the process. We see a lot of different women coming into our center, all with different stories to tell, and this woman called into the pregnancy center. She wanted to have an abortion, and we asked her to just come on in and discuss all of her options and thankfully she did accept. I was able to take this woman back and do the ultrasound and show her the truth that this is a real human being. I was able to show her the heart beating, the arms and the legs and her emotions when she saw this baby, you know, she was really excited and she said that after the sonogram, um, she would be back and that meant that she was going to keep this baby. Just being able to be God's hands and his feet in showing these women the truth is just beautiful. You need support. You can't do it by yourself. There are so many things that they offer. They offer emotional support. They have blankets, they have clothes. You know, if you, if you need prenatal vitamins, they've thought of everything. Before the fifth one, I had a miscarriage, but I took the ultrasound here, and it was really painful process, but they were along the side there for me. Beyond the pregnancy, they're just there for the family now. It's very hard with the culture to be, to be pregnant, and especially if you don't plan the pregnancy. Yet, on plane, but for me, they were already playing before they were there. And Columbia Pregnancy Center has been there to help us to know, hey, you guys, you are a unique family, and that's your, that's your story. The very beginning and middle of my pregnancy were really difficult emotionally because I was leaning towards adoption, and um, that's a really hard thing to think about doing, is giving your baby away. So we ended up getting married and having this baby, and so Ever since then, you know, they've sort of reached out to me to talk to young girls who come in here who are pregnant and don't know what to do. The fact that someone could help me, you know, it just, it means so much to me to be able to help 
somebody else because like I said I know how it, it feels to like be there you know when I walked through the doors initially I did not think that this was what was in the future for me and but I can't I can't even say in words how blessed and thankful I am that, that it, it was just seeing that little smile every day and knowing that he's mine is just like brings so much joy and I don't think that anybody in my life I don't think any of their lives would be the same if he wasn't here you know if he wasn't mine from my office I can hear Carol pick up the phone and often throughout the day I will hear her say are you sure you want to do that and as soon as I hear those words I just stop and pray because I know that the woman on the other end of that phone is considering an abortion. And with such love and compassion, Carol walks this woman to hope. That's the amazing work at the Pregnancy Center, that women like Carol can take a woman who's scared and afraid and full of despair and reach a hand of hope out to her. Many of our clients are facing pressures that we probably don't even think about in our daily lives. I think most of all, what they appreciate is having someone to sit down with them and to help them to realize that they can go through with their pregnancy and that if they take it one day at a time, that they can be successful. Columbia Pregnancy Center has helped me. It is hard being a single mom. I wouldn't have the clothes or the supplies that I need for my children. Being a mom is really, it's a, it's a hard thing, but it's really um, exciting to have children. I'm really excited to have two daughters. I really love it, <laughs> especially when I have people to help me. I uh, really enjoy coming here. It's like a family. While I was pregnant, my husband wasn't here, and I was doing two jobs. I went through a period of depression, but I came here, and they were really, they gave me really good advice. I really appreciate them. We have a whole team of volunteers that work with the fathers and the boyfriends and the significant other males that come into the center. The class is really good. That's give you a good instruction on everything uh, as a father. That's the best thing that could be happening in my life. Get married, get my kids, have a family. Your donation has been very important to us that we can continue to support this pregnancy center with good tests and a safe environment for everybody. The impact of our donors here at the Columbia Pregnancy Center is really tremendous, probably more than you realize. And I really just want to say a heartfelt thank you to you tonight. Thank you so much for Columbia Pregnancy Center. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. I really want to thank all the donors. I appreciate your help. May God bless you and give you more. So we are very thankful for your support. Although this is a daunting mission, we know that through Jesus Christ, we will accomplish our goal. Amen. Amy, won't you come on up? This is Amy Campbell with uh, the Center. First of all, it's great to be here at Oak Ridge today. I see a lot of friendly faces. You guys are such a huge, huge support to our Center. And I just want to thank every one of you who has done anything to support us. It's just so nice to be here and to uh, be in this community. 
Um, there's a few things I wanted to add. Pastor did an amazing job. You guys saw on the videos all the good that we do on a daily basis. But um, I just wanted to let everybody know the services we offer. I see a lot of young faces here, and I know you guys have probably friends who are making choices that might not be in line with what Christ asks us to do. People can always make a better choice, even if they've made a poor choice prior to that. So I want you guys to know the things that we offer so you can bring your friends to us or come to us yourselves if you've made a decision that's caused an unplanned pregnancy and to know that that's not the stop of everything. That's the beginning mm -hmm. of new choices with Christ. Um, we offer options counseling. So if you are considering abortion or adoption, we would love to come talk to you. We take everybody through a non-judgmental process of what, what your options are and what they all realistically look like. We offer free sonograms. Um, and it's been shown that sonograms, once a woman sees her baby in the womb, about 70% of the time, she will decide to choose life for that baby. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. um, we all also offer a lot of material support, like you've seen, diapers, wipes, clothes, all of that great stuff. And we offer parenting support, parenting classes, co um, connections to community resources, whatever the need might be for a mom to be able to choose life for her baby, we can connect her to that. And one important thing I want to close with is for those of you out there who may either yourselves or know a friend or a loved one that has chosen abortion in the past, that doesn't have to define your life for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You can transform that into something beautiful and something life-giving. And um, we offer a program called Transforming Your Story. It's starting March 6th at our center. You can come in person or you can come by Zoom. But know that there is healing um, available for people who have chosen abortion in the past. And it's a very loving, non-judgmental community that comes together to help move you forward if you're finding yourself stuck from a, a past decision. So again, I just want to thank you Great. for having us here and supporting us. Just pray for us, please. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of the Columbia Pregnancy Center. We thank you that it is inspired um, by you and by your truth, and by your love. Thank you for the truths that we have heard reinforced to us this morning. We thank you for the precious gift of life. Mm -hmm. We pray that you would help us to carry, to carry that truth forward in our own lives, to our friends, uh, to our neighbors, to those around us, that we would be bearers of your truth and your light and encouragement to those around us. And we pray for the work of the Columbia Pregnancy Center that uh, with it and through it, by it, that you would bring joy and healing to many, that mm -hmm. you would bring life where there is a risk that that life would be snuffed out. Mm -hmm. Pray that you would help us to see our parts in providing for the center and supporting the center whether that's by means, by financial support, by volunteer support. We pray that you would lead us and guide us, help us uh, to work hand in hand with them. And we just thank you for the, the tireless effort that they put in to choose life and to value life just as you. Amen.